0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning we come to a passage of Scripture, which for some of you is going to resonate very deeply. For others of you, it's going to stretch you. Because we're coming to a passage of Scripture, which basically is asking the question, What do we do when God doesn't make sense? If you're looking for a title, uh, that would be a decent one. What do we do when God doesn't make sense? What what do we do when God seems strange to us? When his plans uh, worked out uh, within our lives don't make sense? They are confusing that he seems strange. If anybody ever felt like God was strange, that he just seems strange to you, you're not going to go to hell for raising your hand. It's okay. David thought that God, he didn't make sense to God. So it's a very human biblical expression of the finite trying to understand the infinite, uh, of man, the creature, trying to understand the Creator. And we come to this place uh, here for David. David, remember David? David, who was happy and content being uh, the youngest of a big family working as a shepherd in the field, taking care of his father Jesse's flocks. And all of a sudden Samuel shows up on the scene and he anoints David to be the king of Israel. And so David has a calling by God on his life now. His world has been totally turned upside down uh, with no provocation of his own, with no planning, with no life coaching, uh, with any of those things. God just said, here's what's going to happen to you. You are the new king. But there was already a seated king, Saul. And so David went to see his brothers, as you know the story. And he was bringing them food, and Goliath was out in the field. And so David went out, uh, and he defeated Goliath and killed the enemy, uh, the great enemy of God's people. Uh, And uh, there was a great victory uh, that day, and the spoils of the war, and the Philistines were defeated. uh, And the armies of Israel celebrated, and David was celebrated. And he went into the service of Saul the king, because Saul was tormented with uh, dark spirits and with a heart that was overwhelmed. Um, and David soothed him with the Psalms and was singing and praise to God and Saul tried to pin him to a wall on multiple occasions with his javelin and spear and so David stayed and he ended up marrying Saul's daughter and so now the king who's trying to kill him is his father-in-law there's a fun Thanksgiving dinner Uh, I mean it's get together for that and so his wife helps him in great humiliation, get over a wall, out a window, and to run away because Saul was going to kill him. And so he runs to Abimelech, the priest at Nob, for his refuge. And Abimelech and the priests there uh, give him food, and they even give him the sword uh, of uh, Goliath to use and to have. And David leaves the city because he realizes that he's brought great danger upon Abimelech. And eventually uh, later... Uh, Saul comes, and his armies kill Abimelech and, and kill the priests there. And David is overwhelmed with sadness of what's taken place. And he flees to Gath. And you go, Gath? Well, Gath is a Philistine city with a Philistine king, and it happens to be the hometown of Goliath. And he goes there to find refuge. And he's found out of who he is. And so he feigns insanity He goes and acts as an animal upon the ground. And the king of Gath says, I don't want this guy here. And so David now uh, can't find solace anywhere. And so he goes into the wilderness of En Gedi, which is on the western side of the Dead Sea, in the mountainous region, an arid place within Israel, near what would have been Masada, uh, the fortress there that is well known. And he hid himself in the cave of Adullam. And it was there in that cave where David wrote Psalms 57 and 142. 142 probably was written first. It's the more desperate of the two Psalms. It is one of great lament where David is just laying out his heart before the Lord. And in some way saying this, you don't make sense. This isn't what you signed me up for. It wasn't even as if David signed up for it. He's going, you signed me up for this thing. You called me, and now uh, I'm running for my life. And in these Psalms, he is absolutely and abjectly alone in this cave. And obviously, evidently, it was a massive cave, Because later, several hundred of his family and friends and supporters come and join him there. But here, he's left on his own. And so that's where we find ourselves with David. When God seems strange, when he doesn't make sense. Now, let me make sure uh, that I make this statement because I do not want to impugn the character and the integrity of God. God is not strange, God is not confusing. The problem doesn't lie with God. The problem lies with us. It lies with us in our sinful understanding of him and our confusion uh, about him. So the problem isn't with God. The problem is with us and the warped perspective that I have uh, with the Almighty. So be careful in that. I want to make sure uh, that you don't think and walk away from here. Bill said God's a strange. No. God is faithful and true and noble and all of that and we come and we have to interpret the strange we have to interpret the confusion we have to interpret the caves uh, of life and understand them and learn something from them because here's the reality this this sermon isn't going to resonate with some of you and that's okay and we're going to deal with that at the very end because you've never experienced a cave You've never experienced a difficulty, I mean, a profound difficulty in your life. And that's all right. The caves are coming. All of us at some point in our life experience a cave. We experience a wilderness. We experience a place where God doesn't seem to make sense. And so listen and, and think and then plow in to develop for yourself a fuller understanding of caves. And that's the first point of a sermon today. How do we interpret caves? How do we interpret the caves uh, that we experience in our life? How many of you would say that you've experienced some sort of quote unquote cave like uh, time in your life? Anybody? Raise up your hands high and look around. Everybody, look around. You're not alone, okay? And if you didn't raise your hands, that doesn't mean you're odd. It means you haven't experienced it yet. But what you should look and say is, well, I better prepare because they're coming. Because evidently that's common to man. And it is. And so the question becomes, how do we interpret the caves? What do we do with the caves uh, that come into our life? And the first thing I want you to understand is this. Caves are not always the result of your sins, failures, and rebellions. Caves are not always the results of our sins, failures, and rebellions against God. Now, sometimes they are. Later in David's life, uh, when he was hanging out where he shouldn't have been hanging out and gazing upon a young woman who he shouldn't have been gazing upon, and he decided to uh, have an adulterous affair with her and then decided to murder uh, her husband and some other men within his army. Her husband happened to be one of his friends, one of his mighty men. Well, that cave was because of his sin and rebellion, because his child died from Bathsheba, uh, that his family rebelled against him later, that he ultimately wasn't able to accomplish some things for the Lord that he wanted to, in part because of this. So yes, there are caves that are created by our sinfulness. And so it is important to look and go, okay, God, I'm in this place. I'm in this difficult place. Does any of this have to do with me? So that's important, but that's not the only place. A lot of churches and a lot of people go, oh, you're in this bad spot. It must be because of you. It must be because of some sin uh, on your part. Because you see, if you really had faith and you really had love for God, and if you were really obedient, then no bad things would ever come into your life. And if you ever hear that preaching from a pulpit, that's a really good time for you to go find a different church. If you hear it from this pulpit, it's a really good time for you to find a different church. Because our sinfulness is not the cause of all the difficulties in our lives. Ultimately, sin is the fall in the world. But think about this. What had David done in these Psalms that caused him to be in a cave? Nothing except faithful obedience to God and the call in his life. God said, hey, I want you to be king. Okay, I'm going to be king. I want you to go kill Goliath. Okay, I'm going to go kill the enemies of Israel. I'm going to give you all the glory, by the way, for uh, this victory. Now I want you to go care for the seated king. I got it. I'm going to do that. And so he did all that God had asked and required of him, and he still found himself in a cave. So, folks, we need to understand uh, that these difficult situations that we find ourselves in many times are precisely because of the call of God on our lives. That we live our lives in the midst of hazards. That we live the obedient Christian life, the call of God as followers of the king in this profoundly non-Christian culture. We live it in the midst of hazards. And oftentimes we find ourselves in these difficult places. Because you see, caves come into the lives of the righteous and the unrighteous. Remember again who David is. David is the one who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Oh, his rod and his staff, there comforts me. He puts a table and prepares it in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head uh, with oil. this God is awesome. He's a pasture-making God. He's a quiet water-leading God, but he's also a God who takes me into caves. So both of those are part of the normative Christian life. So I want to make sure that you're clear for if you're here and you're stepping into church for the first time or back into church, I want to be fully clear. It's not all roses and lollipops there are wonderful pastures. How many of you experienced wonderful green pastures and quiet waters? Raise your hands up high. It's okay. It's okay to have a pasture and quiet waters. You know that, right? Because here's what's interpreted so often in the church today. Oh, you're feeling good about life. Things are going well for you. Must be something wrong. No, God's a pasture making God as well as a cave making God. And so both of those are part uh, of our Christian life so that when caves come and we experience this full breadth of pastures and caves, I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be surprised. One writer put it this way, what a contradiction must it have felt like to this man of God. I can almost hear him in protest. God, this isn't at all what I expected to happen when you anointed me king over your people. Hiding out in a cave for protection from my enemies wasn't in the job description. I'm supposed to be honored and revered and respected. I'm supposed to be seated on a throne with servants at my beck and call. So what am I doing here with the spiders and snakes and wolves in a cave hiding to save my life? What a strange God. So sometimes God seems strange. And we have to understand the caves that we're in. And it's important, the next points that we're going to look at are now, as we look at the caves, what are we supposed to learn from the caves? Because I hear a statement regularly, uh, and it's sort of like fingers on a chalkboard, and if, you're, if you don't know what a chalkboard is, I understand, but uh, think of a terrible sound that grates on the back. And it's that sound, and here's the statement, well, you're going to be better once you get through this. You know, you'll be a better, you'll be a stronger person just once you get through this difficult time. Eh, not true. You will be a better person. You will be better for it if you learn something while going through it. Just enduring a cave does not teach you anything about a cave. You can come out of a cave and be as naive and as shallow as you were when you went into it. And so what do we need to learn now that we're in the cave? What should we be learning? And here's what we should be learning Within the midst of a cave, our prayer life is enhanced, our faith is deepened, and our worship is heightened. Our prayer life is enhanced, uh, our faith is deepened, and our worship is heightened. These are prayers. With my voice, I cry out uh, to the Lord. The beginning uh, of 57 uh, says, my God, be merciful to me, be merciful to me in the shadow. I cry out to God most high. So it is a prayer uh, of David. These are prayers in the midst of trouble and confusion in the cave. That's the place where David was writing these. This is the environment. This is the context of David's prayer. So our prayers similarly should be enhanced in this way that we should pray when God doesn't make sense. Again, almost all of you raised your hands. Well, a few of you raised your hands and said that at times God didn't make sense, but then all of you said uh, that you'd experienced a cave and those two should be closer together or the amount of number because caves don't always make sense. But when we're in the midst of a confusion, we're in the midst of a cave, we're in the midst of this place our prayer life, we should pray, not stop praying. Pray when God seems strange and confusing to you. That's what David is doing in these psalms. David cried out to the Lord in the midst of his confusion. His confusion about God and his current situation did not silence his prayer life. It enhanced it. The difficulty around him didn't make him pull away from God, which is what happens to so many, many people. I don't go to church anymore. I don't believe much in God anymore because this happened to me in my life. And therefore, I just figured, well, God's not good and I'm just going to do my own thing. It's when God doesn't make sense, we should draw closer to him and go, God, I need to understand you more in this moment. I need your presence more in these times, not pulling away. And prayer is that lifeline for the Christian in which we communicate with God. Far too many of us quit praying when things don't make sense, when God seems strange. And those are exactly the times in our prayer life that we should not be silent, that we should pray with regularity, Verse 2 of, of Psalm 57 uh, it says, I cry out, sort of a continual present with a future uh, peace in it. I am presently crying out, and I will cry out. I will regularly and constantly be in prayer to you. The New Testament says it this way, pray without ceasing. Does that mean you should walk around all day long praying? Of course, not murmuring and mumbling and doing. No, but it means that there is a constant connection with the Lord in your life where you are communicating with him, where you are praying, where you are thanking him, where you are looking and going, God help. Now, by the way, prayers can be breath prayers, right? Most of us say, hey, would you pray? Oh, gosh. And you'd start going back into your old King James and you try to do all the these and thous and all this. Here's a really wonderful prayer when you see that you're walking into a different situation. God help. You think he understands that one? God help. Need some help. Not looking forward to that person walking down the hall towards me. Help. <laughs> Got to have a tough conversation in the midst of this. I'm about to face something really difficult. I don't understand what's going on in my life. Help. You don't have to go, great God of heaven who created all things. If you could find it in your bountiful mercy to condescend from heaven into my lowly estate. For me, a sinner. No. Help. Or thanks. Praise be to you. It's prayer. Uh, That is coming into his presence. And so we pray uh, with regularity. But we also pray with fervency. There's a word you probably haven't used this week or this month. When's the last time you used the word fervent? I was fervent in my eating habits. No, I was, no, I was, fer- we're, not, we're not fervent about much. We don't realize that we are, but we are. David was saying, take that fervency, take that passion, take all that is there and put it towards your prayer life. Because look at what he said from 142, 1 and 2. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. That fourfold repetition underscores the fervency in David's prayer, the desperation of the situation. He is not only praying in his heart, he is praying with his mouth. Pray aloud. Yes, it's important to pray fervently in our hearts, but we are to also pray aloud to the Lord to come. And mainly we do that a little bit in church. And maybe you pray for your, your uh, families. And you definitely have to pray at a meal because you don't want to get indigestion. And we think that somehow, they, and then you have to tag it at the end. Oh, in, in Jesus' name. And we say, there, it's all good. He's saying, no, this is a fervent prayer. How do you think David prayed these prayers? Um, God, if you're, if you're not busy today, I know I've messed up, but I'm in a cave. And I'm alone. People are trying to kill me. My family's not here. Those who are supposed to support me aren't around me. People are talking So poorly about me, they're destroying my reputation. They're they're impugning my integrity. So, Lord, you don't have anything else to do. I'd love for you to kind of come near. What did David say? Lord, with my voice, I cry out. I'm alone. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't ask to be king. I didn't write the 10 things that I want to do in my life and kingship was at the top of it. I did what you asked me to do and I've had spears thrown at me. I've had priests killed because of me. I've had to be humiliated in life and now I'm in a cave alone. Would you do something? You ever prayed that way? How many of you prayed something like that? So few of you because you think it's irreverent. It's biblical. A lament is biblical. To cry out to the Lord and say, God, I believe in you, but my faith is waning. My feet are slipping a little bit, but God, I'm wrestling here with what's going on in life. This became very real to me on August twelfth of nineteen ninety two. You've mentioned, you've heard me mention my father and my love for him. Uh, But on August twelfth of nineteen ninety two, I was standing out on the steps of my house, waiting for the coroner to get his body out of the den. And a man came to me and said, "Bill, what would you like to say to God?" I said, "What a stupid statement." what I like to say to God. I got a lot I like to say to God. My dad's dead. I got my mother I'm dealing with, my sister I'm dealing with, uh, and a brand new bride of two months that I can't find because it was pre-cell phone days, and she's somewhere doing sales uh, in North Carolina, and I can't get a hold of her. He said, what would you like to say to God? I said, I'd like to yell at heaven. He goes, go ahead. God's a big boy. He can take it. What great theology. God's a big boy. He can take it. David knew God so well that he cried out, uh, that he expressed himself in all of his confusion before the Lord. And I want to give some of you the freedom to express yourself in confusion before the Lord because he hears you and he loves you. And you don't have to button it all up. And sometimes that fervent prayer, here's what it sounds like. You ever prayed this prayer? Ah. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Because language fails us. But Romans says this, the spirit testifies with our spirit with groanings too deep for words. What do you think that means? And by the way, if you're from a Pentecostal background, that is not tongues it's saying with the spirit that interprets deep down that groan of the soul which when you crawl into bed at night and you finish your radiation and your body is just hurting and you just go oh god goes i know i understand every word that you just said when you're standing dutifully by your loved one who is suffering and you know that you're going to have to say goodbye to them soon and you just go god because i know exactly what you're going through when you're explaining to your spouse, or when you're explaining to your children why dad left and isn't coming home again. And you just go, ah. God goes, I know. I understand that. So we pray with fervency. We pray with that regularity. You see, God expects us uh, to frequently experience pain and therefore frequently to express our pain to him. We're going to have suffering in this life. We're going to have difficulties in this life. We live in a fallen world. That's just part of it. And so he expects that difficulty in our life. But he expects us to express that back to him and go, I don't get it. And I need you closer. You see, the Psalms of lament, as John Piper says, are a treasure to the saints. They give inspired voice to our troubled souls. They model for us how to complain to God in a way that honors him. And they are themselves expressions of God's care and compassion for us because in them we, stand, we see that we are not as alone as we feel and that God indeed understands. So the next question then becomes, do you know God well enough to pray that way? Because in a cave, our faith is also deepened. Our faith is deepened in the caves. David's faith was shaken down. David's faith, things were removed from David. Things were taken away from David. And in that, it seems that his faith went down. The taproot went deeper into God. And look at and listen to some of the things out of these two psalms that he says about God. God, you're mer- be merciful to me. So we learn that God is a merciful God. How do we learn that? Because David wouldn't have asked for something that God wasn't able to give. God, be merciful to me because I know you have mercy. I know you are a merciful God. And so that God, we learn this, that God is merciful. That God is our refuge and safe place in the midst of trouble. That God completes our lives by his purposes. He knows our ways that God will act, 57.3. It says that God will act. He doesn't just hear, but he acts uh, upon that, and that God is steadfast and faithful. He'll never move. We move. We're not faithful. We play the role of the adulterer. We play the role of the harlot. We go after less wild lovers uh, within the world, but God never does. God always stays faithful And true to his promises to us. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you even until the end of the age. I am there. And he's a God who hears. He's a God who hears us. Husbands, speak to you for just a second. There's a big difference between hearing the sound of your wife's voice. And hearing her. Women, would you agree with that? How many times have women spoken and gone, did you hear me? Oh, yeah. And you rattle off exactly what they said. See, I heard you as I'm reading whatever I'm reading and doing whatever I'm doing. And what we really realize is that we haven't heard them at all. Because if we had heard, we would have heard, I'm crying for you to have a deeper intimacy with you. I want to know your heart. I don't need you to fix everything. I want you to draw near to me. I want you to pursue me. I want you to see me as beautiful. I want you to hear me. I want you to see all of these things in me. That, that's what's happening. Now, wives, your husband's asking the same thing. He's saying, I'm going to say a couple of words because that's all I got. And I'd like you to interpret those into woman language. And, and men, you're trying to interpret her words into man language. And we're wondering, and I even heard, and God is saying this, I hear you. I hear everything you say to me. And I understand it fully. I'm gazing on you. I'm not distracted. I'm all in on this. That's the kind of God that we have. You see, everything... We need to know that. We need to have this depth of faith because everything else has been stripped away from David, and he is faced with the reality that God is all that is left for him. David's had everything stripped away. We spend the bulk of our lives trying to weave safety nets for us. The entirety of our lives, we're weaving safety nets. Our retirement, our reputation where we live, all of these things, we're trying to have safety nets for us. We invest our lives, our emotions, our fortunes, our futures into things that were never designed to provide safety and security for us. So do you know God well enough when those things are stripped away that your faith isn't bankrupt? Because here's what I know. Safety nets in this world are regularly stripped away. They're regularly stripped away. And what you have to ask, God, are you enough for me? My family's gone. My health is gone. My beauty uh, is gone. My reputation uh, is gone. My, my fortune uh, is gone. Everything that I've worked uh, is gone. My skills, my, all of it, my health, everything is gone. God's saying, I'm enough. Those were just wonderful enhancements to life. They were never life. And so when all of your safety nets were stripped away, Is your faith deep enough? Are the roots down far enough so that you can say, God, you're faithful. I'm less worried about people whose safety nets have been stripped away than I am of people whose all of your safety nets are still in place. Because if all of your safety nets are still in place, then God is just one of many. 2007 and 2008 happened. The crash of our economy happened bankruptcy happened, difficulty happened, and it's as if it never did, because there's a sense in which, hey, I lost everything there, God, thanks, you're all I need, you all I have, oh, I got everything back, this is cool, God, I'll call you when I need some help, God, the cave was tough, it was deep, it was dark, it was horrible, oh, I'm out of the cave now, My finances are doing fine. My reputation's back on good standing. Everything is good. This is awesome. So God, thanks for the cave help. I'll call you when I need you. But in the meantime, don't bother me. I'll come visit you on Sunday mornings. But other than that, I don't really need you in my life. That's a dangerous place, folks. Because here's the reality. Caves are going to come. And safety nets aren't going to be able to sustain you there, unless your safety net is God himself. Got to move a little more quickly. The last thing that we learn in a cave is this, that our worship is heightened. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You see, our worship is heightened from the impulse to hope in the triumph of God. When everything else is stripped away, when you're in a cave, you realize my only hope is him, and he won't fail me. Praise be to him. And we're going to praise him like we do in our church sometimes. You know, what a beautiful name that is. Name of Jesus. And what are these people raising their hands for, these freaks? Nothing, only they're distracting my service. I don't want to be known with my hands raised. I'm a Presbyterian. I mean, my goodness, I come from a Catholic background. We don't do that stuff. I mean, God's great and all, but don't get carried away. David says, My praise is going to wake the dawn. I'm grabbing a guitar. And I'm going at a lyre for him, but a guitar for us, by the way, a rather biblical instrument. Find an organ in the Bible, but we'll have that conversation later. (laughs) Organs can wake the dawn too, by the way, so it doesn't matter what instrument, but whatever instrument and whatever voice you are using, it is a voice that says this, praise be to God, and I'm going to praise you in the midst of the nations. He's saying, I'm going to praise you in the midst of the enemies of the king. I'm going to worship you in the middle of caves to say this. It's not about the caves. It's about God. It's not about the circumstance. It's about Him. Because what caves do is they heighten our worship. Y'all were doing really well this morning. I want you to keep it up. Sing with fervency. Pray with fervency. Worship God with depth. Our worship is heightened when we are humbled as David was by God so that He can reveal His glorious nature to us. Our worship is heightened when we trust his plans for our lives to live in bold obedience. John Piper said this, if God is worth the hazarding of our comfort in our lives in the service of love, if we are eager to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, if we bank all our hope and our, on his goodness to us and his sovereign triumph in all the world, then we, will we not want to hail him among the peoples? Something is wrong with a private God, but if our God is great and we go public with our worship. Show me a person who stands in the worship of God's people with folded arms and a shut mouth and I'll show you a person with a spiritual problem. Exalting him as part of the life with him. So, as we conclude, and by the way, we're going to run a couple of minutes over. It's okay, it's hot outside. What are you going to do? Again, for some of you today, this doesn't make sense and it doesn't resonate with you. I was reading a a devotion by John Piper, and he said this. You might not be able to share in the lament right now, but here's some things you can learn from a lament. Realize that somewhere in the world, there are Christians who right now are in this very situation. Pray with them and for them. There are some of our brothers and sisters in this room and around the world who are suffering For the name of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray with them and for them. Realize that you will be in a situation sooner or later. And build this pattern of prayer into your life now as preparation. Learn this now. So that when the cave comes you're prepared for it. Get to know God by the way the godly go to him. And what they say to him and about him in such times. Read these and go, okay, if this is coming into my life, how did David do it? Learn that pattern and understand it. And give thanks for the relative peace and joy that you have in this fragile season. For others of you, this psalm resonates deep in your soul. You were in a cave today. You were barely able to make it to church today. Because of the cave you're in. I look around this room and I could point out. There's somebody in a cave, and that person's in a cave, and that person, and that person. I want you to hear this. God is with you in the cave, that he's merciful, and he's good, and he won't abandon you to that cave. And here's why I know that this table, is Christ entering into the cave, the cave of death and of loss, and of saying this, You, though you experience something like a cave, you will never experience this cave if you have faith in me. That I went into the cave and I was abandoned. I went into the cave and my father turned his face from me. I went into the cave and I was crushed. I went into the cave, but guess what? I came out of it. And I'm going to make sure that the end of your life is not cave dwelling. But the end of your life is glorious pastures with running water and all the beauties of heaven and a new earth because I entered into that cave for you. But the only way that you get what I have is you have to believe in me. You don't get it any other way. And so hear this, friends. We're coming now to a table of a Savior who entered in the cave on our behalf. That he gave his life for you. He suffered so that you ultimately never would. So let's go now to him in prayer.